Hello. Thanks for listening to our Fusion Sermon Podcast. Fusion is a worshiping community within Hardawike Ministries. We gather at 1030 a.m. in the Red Brick Church Building on the Hardawike campus on the corner of 160th and Lakewood in Holland, Michigan. We invite you to join us in person when you are able. To learn more about our Fusion community and Hardawike Ministries, please visit hardawike.com. This morning, though, we are continuing our study What does it look like to act like Jesus? We're exploring the 10 core practices or 10 core practices that mark the Christian journey of spiritual formation. Again, these are practices that Jesus and his followers uh, throughout the centuries have implemented in their lives. Their daily rhythms included these core practices or disciplines. And again, just a reminder, our working illustration or imagery of this is kind of the elite athlete uh, or the artist or the musician who is training and putting in hours of practice, not just for the sake of practice, but for the sake of what their calling is. And for us, these disciplines kind of function in a similar way. We read our Bible uh, to prepare us and to draw us into the presence of God so that we would be formed and shaped more and more into the likeness, the same with prayer and these other disciplines, so that when we, when we live our lives in this world, we begin to reflect the things that the Spirit is doing in our lives. And so that's kind of the working imagery. And this this season, this winter, so far we've considered different practices like corporate worship, personal prayer, uh, and time with Jesus, uh, studying the Bible, reading or meditating on scripture. And then last week, if you remember, we looked at single-mindedness. What, is it, what does it mean to have our eyes fixed on Jesus and, and be that our primary focus and direction in life? And this morning, what we're going to be considering is total surrender, Uh, total surrender and and sacrifice. We heard that in Mary's prayer, which is so beautiful. Um, And really, this uh, this week kind of sets up the next five. Uh, Because the next five weeks is how do we live into this, some practical examples. Uh, But today we're looking at this call from Jesus. And the foundation of this call comes from the very lips of Jesus. Uh, two different, in in two of the Gospels, Matthew in chapter 16 and Luke chapter 9, we, we hear... Uh, Jesus offered this command that we're going to read this morning uh, to, to deny ourselves and take up a cross. And what does that mean? Um, but just a little setup to, to this, this interaction, this word from Jesus to his disciples. The setup is this, uh, that Jesus, just before this, he, he's just confirmed to his disciples that he is the Messiah. He says, who do you say that I am? And Peter says, well, you're Christ, the Messiah. And Jesus says, you're right, I am. Now you have to understand that the disciples, first century Jews, had a, had a very specific idea of what the Messiah would mean. The Messiah was a, a political figure in many ways who would come to restore the nation of Israel and, 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 and turn away Rome, the occupation of Rome, and, and, and give Israel their, their independence once again. And so this he would be a king, right? The Messiah was a king. And then Jesus goes on, and we're going to read that here and says, you know, actually what the Messiah is going to be is, is not what you expect. And we have to just kind of remember how jarring this word would have been. In fact, in Matthew's account, which we're not going to read, uh, this is where Peter rebukes Jesus, which is, that's, that's Peter for you, right? But he rebukes Jesus saying, this cannot be. So that kind of gives us a little sense of how jarring this is. But we're going to look at it from Luke's uh, telling of this account. Luke chapter 9, verses 21 through 27. If you're willing, if you're able, I invite you to stand as we hear God speak to us this morning. Again, Luke chapter 9, starting at verse 1. 21. Jesus strictly warned them not to tell this to anyone, referring to his identity as the Messiah. 
verse 22. And he said, the son of man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. And on the third day, be raised to life. Then he said to them all, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world and yet lose or forfeit their very self? Whoever is ashamed of me and my words, the Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his glory and in the glory of the Father and of the holy angels. Truly I tell you, some who are standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. You may be seated. You join me in a word of prayer. Lord, once again, we, we thank you and we praise you for these, these words of you, Lord Jesus, which have been preserved by the Holy Spirit, which remain inspired by the work of your Spirit. Lord, as, as we consider and ponder these difficult words of you, Lord Jesus, Lord, may you open our hearts, may you open our minds, may you open our wills to you so that we would take these words seriously. And, and, and as we prayed earlier, that we would consider what are the ways that you're calling us to live into this calling of Jesus Christ as your disciples. Uh, be at work in this time moving, and moving forward. We pray this in Christ's name. God's people say together, amen. What is the meaning of life? Boom, we're just going to throw that question out there. This is one of the, the biggest questions that, that people can ask. It's one of these existential kind of questions. What is, what is the meaning of life? And what you'll see is that depending who you ask, you're going to get a whole host of different answers. Uh, here's some examples of, of possible answers. If you were to ask a scientist, they, they might answer, not all scientists, of course, but they might answer the meaning of life from a scientific perspective is to propagate the survival of our species and increase our understanding of the universe and our place within it. And you're like, okay, there we go. Or if you were to ask the humanist, uh, maybe the secular humanist, they might answer it this way. Uh, the meaning of life is not to be found in some grand scheme or divine plan, but in the connections we make with others and the impact we have in, on the world around us. Or if you were to ask maybe an existentialist, they might say, well, life has no inher inherent meaning. It's up to each individual to create their own meaning through their choices and actions. Now, those are some heady, heavy answers to that question. Let's, let's kind of like shift focus, some more lighthearted or more real answers. What is the meaning of life? For parents, they might just say, I'm just trying to raise decent kids like, and, and get them through the week, right? If you were to ask kids, well, what's the meaning of life? Well, if you ask my kid, he'd say candy and to eat as much candy as humanly possible or whatever that is, whatever your kids are into. Uh, the retiree might say, uh, well, the meaning is my kids and I'm investing in my grandkids and uh, let's be honest, retirees, pickleball's taking over the world, right? So they might say, pickleball, my purpose is pickleball, right? 
Uh, or the high school student who has all of these pressures, second semester, and, and, and their life is ahead of them. They might say, well, sports and school and, 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 or the musical or my part-time job or, or getting certain grades and getting into the university that I want to get to or trying to figure out what my next stage of life is and, and my social dynamics and all of these different things, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. And we take a deep breath. What is the meaning of life? Now, again, if you ask dozens of people that, you might get a variety of different answers. But one of the most common answers that people will give is, what is the purpose of life? They might say, well, the purpose of life is to be happy. Right, we've heard that answer. The, the meaning of life, the purpose of life is to be happy. Or, or we might call it the good life, to experience the good life. Well, we might ask then, well, well what is the path to, to achieve happiness? What is, how do I... What is the path toward happiness or how do I experience or live the good life? How how do I find happiness? Because, again, there's going to be plenty of answers to this question as well. What's the path to happiness? What is the good life? Now, what I want to do this morning is kind of just consider multiple ways that the world maybe puts forward. And then we're going to to kind of use that to enter into our text. Because what Jesus calls us to in Luke 9 is is some of the most difficult words, if we just take them seriously, that Jesus has to offer. So let's begin with some of the world's answers to what is the path toward happiness? What is the good life? Now, of course, again, you're going to maybe get as many answers to this question if you look at like just the specifics of how do you achieve happiness. But my hope this morning is just to kind of distill things down to some basic ingredients of what needs to be part of uh, to experience happiness or the good life. Disclaimer, you don't have to hear me say this, but I'm not a scientist, okay? I'm not a sociologist. I'm not a psychologist. I'm not an expert at any of this. uh, But I I did my research, okay? No, I'm just kidding. Okay, so we're just going to explore some of the things that the world says, okay? So let's begin with science, which offers some basic ingredients common to all animals. Let's baseline what is required to experience the good life. Well, biology tells us uh, that animals have kind of this instinct to survive. So when we think about just a survival instinct, and, and humans have the same instinct, right? We share this natural instinct to survive, and the back of our brain kind of controls that part of our, of our, of our brain. Um, but on a most basic level, we all have physical needs. And so at the base of that kind of pyramid there, uh, we need food, we need water, we need shelter, we need sleep. And when those physiological needs are deprived, it's difficult for us to focus on much else. Most would agree that to experience the good life, you have to have these basic physiological needs provided for and satisfied. That's the first kind of level. Uh, And then based on these needs that we share with all animals, we kind of enter into some higher needs. And if maybe you recognize this pyramid, this is Maslow's hierarchy of of needs. That's correct. Okay, yep, people are are giving me the head nod. Okay, okay. So this is Maslow's pyramid of uh, hierarchy of needs. And so you kind of go up to the next level. And, and some of these higher human needs, the next level is safety. And that makes sense. Like, we, humans need to know that our basic needs, this first level, are met, that our well-being is not under attack or being threatened. And so for us, like, certain things like a stable government, law and order in society, freedom from fear, these are all part of what we need to experience the good life. I think we would agree with that. After that comes kind of higher human needs uh, that comprise the good life, right? There's, there's a need to be loved, and a need to belong, and I think, yeah, we'd say, yeah, that's totally true, to be part of a family or a group, uh, a community. And then there's a higher need even there than to be esteemed, right, to, 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 to be esteemed by ourselves, to have some level of self-esteem, self-worth, but also esteemed by others to experience affirmation, acceptance, and dignity. 
And then this is where Maslow's hierarchy jumps kind of to the, to the top of the original pyramid, which kind of centers on self-fulfillment and self-actualization, which I think is where kind of our modern society, modern West, has, has really emphasized and, and exaggerated in some ways, kind of to the nth degree. Uh, our society would, would speak of, of what, is, what is the good life, and it has something to do with self-actualization. Some of these higher needs of knowledge and purpose and beauty and creativity and growth, right? All of these things are about, uh, about becoming the tr- your true self. Like some of these maxims that we use in our society about self-actualization, like finding your true self, you be you, or self-determination, right? So being the master of our own domain, our society would say like to be the king of your castle, like to have, to be able to determine your future with freedom, Right? or self-fulfillment and self-satisfaction, right? These are all kind of high values that our society would say are, are needed to experience happiness or the good life. Now, step back. We can find extreme examples of some of those things, and maybe some of those extreme examples are like, well, that, that doesn't feel totally relatable, but I think there's more subtle variations of this um, that, that maybe are more relatable. I was just kind of thinking about this. Like, for me, like, I, I look forward to the weekend, and I would say, like, I enjoy a little me time, right? And so that's something that I kind of can relate to. And, and for me, like, the weekend and spending time or going out to dinner and having a good meal, like, like I get that. Like, I, I, I love that. That's, I look forward to that. Or I think about my own reaction when, when someone, like, tries to tell me what I can or cannot do. And, and I, like maybe many of you, would be like, well, you can't tell me what to do. Like, I get to decide what I do. And, 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 and that kind of impulse is still in us because we want to determine our future. We want to decide where and how to live, right? Now, again, I'm not saying this is, this is all bad or this is, I think we can relate to this. But I, I think our culture has kind of emphasized the top part of that pyramid kind of exa- to an exaggerated degree. And, and I just want us to kind of, kind of ground ourselves in, in what is. Like, what are the cultural waters that we find ourselves swimming in and living in? These are the influences that shape us and impact our thinking and form our paradigms and mental maps that the world, in many ways, the, the mental map is the world is about, about me. And that's kind of the cultural waters that we kind of swim in. Now, we take that and then bring that influence in our lives that we all hold in our hearts and our minds to some varying degree. And then we bring, take ourselves to the words of Jesus in Luke chapter 9, and do you begin to see how, how, how what Jesus says really rubs against many of the values of our, of our culture today, particularly the, the self, the emphasis of self? What Jesus says is in, in, in verse 23 particularly is some of the most volatile and difficult work, words that Jesus offers in Scripture. And he offers these immediately after he's, he's just turned the disciples' paradigm of the Messiah completely on its head. Jesus says this, whoever wants to be my disciple, whoever wants to be my disciple, they must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. Now let's just work through this one sentence slowly but kind of quickly to explore what Jesus is actually saying. First, disciple. Jesus is is trying to clarify something to his disciples. That as a disciple, you are following the Messiah. 
And, and the Messiah is, is not the Messiah that maybe you thought the Messiah would be. What he says is if anyone wants to be Jesus' disciple, literally the Greek here is actually not disciple. The, the, the Greek here is uh, if anyone wants to come after me or, or come behind me or follow me, which is a, what a disciple does. But the, the literal language is whoever wants to come behind me or come or follow me, uh, come after me. What Jesus is saying is that a disciple is one who follows, who comes behind the master. A disciple of Jesus Christ is one who submits and obeys to the master. The disciple is not the master. The disciple is the disciple to the master. Jesus is putting disciples in our proper place. Disciples are not Lord. We are not master. Disciples come after or are behind or follow the master or Lord Jesus Christ. Disciple. The second thing, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves. Again, don't miss must. This is a non-negotiable. If we're going to be a disciple of Jesus Christ, we must deny ourselves. The word here for deny uh, can mean deny or disown or refuse to affirm. In other words, what Jesus is saying is that life is not about you or me. Life no longer is about the disciple. It's not about us. To come after Jesus, to be his disciple, is the way of self-denial. Life is no longer about satisfying one's personal needs or desires, but becomes increasingly defined by a willingness to lay those things aside for the sake of of Jesus and for the sake of others. In fact, Jesus takes it a step further when he speaks of take up your cross. A disciple must also take up their cross daily. Now today, that kind of statement, uh, take up your cross, is the, the kind of weight of that statement is kind of worn off because for us, crosses have become so familiar, right? We, we wear crosses in jewelry and so kind of the, the offensiveness, really, of the cross is worn off in our current time, but for the disciples in the first century living under the occupation of the Roman Empire, the cross represented the brutality of empire, of Rome. It, it represented torture. It, uh, it, it, it uh, represented um, capital punishment and ultimately death. What Jesus is saying is that to be his disciple, one must be willing to die. It is a way of self-sacrifice. And notice here, don't miss daily. Uh, meaning that the, that the disciple, it's not like you have one heroic moment and then it's like, boom, I'm set. Like I've, I've taken up my cross. No, daily take up your cross. Be willing to sacrifice self, again, for the sake of Jesus and for the sake of our neighbor. Take up our cross. And then again, to follow Jesus. Uh, talk about disciple again, to follow Jesus. This certainly affirms what we've already said about being a disciple of Jesus, but here the Greek is a compound word that literally combines a participle of union, so union, and uh, the word for road or path or way. And so one un unified way or path is kind of the literal meaning uh, of following Jesus. In other, words, in other words, the disciple of Jesus Christ is to walk the same way, the same path that Jesus walked. And we're going to talk about that more a little bit later. But for now, I just want us to, to just pause. Like, when we dissect that one sentence of Jesus, man, this runs countercultural to the other ways that the world provides. 
it runs so countercultural to the other ways of the world. And here's just some simple examples. Think about this, to be a disciple. To being a disciple, and what does that mean? It means that we have a master. We call Jesus Lord. That word literally means master. We, Jesus is our master, is our Lord. And, and, and this idea that we are disciples to a master, to a Lord, runs completely counter to our self-determining, self-actualizing, uh, self-focused, almost sometimes in our culture, self-worship found in our modern world, that we are our own master. No. We submit and we obey to our master, Jesus Christ. That is so countercultural. Or deny. Self-denial is often considered or can feel kind of borderline oppressive, right? And this is especially true if, if that denial is coming from an outside source. But even, even in our culture, like we say, follow your heart. Like, like follow your desires. Like the heart wants what it wants. We have all of these little sayings. And so to deny, to deny your desires, what your heart longs for, that, that runs completely counter to the prevailing message of our world. And the final one, death, right? To, to, to self-sacrifice, like self-sacrifice, to deny ourselves, to, to, to lay down our lives goes completely against just basic animal instincts that are hardwired into our DNA, right? Human nature pushes us to fight and to survive, not to willingly lay down our lives. There is a rub here between what Jesus is saying and what all these other ways of the world and even parts of, of our human instincts, right? These words of Jesus run completely counter to the prevailing messages of our day, which begs the question that I think we should ask is, well, how can we be sure that this is actually the best way to live? Does this Jesus way actually lead to the good life? a life of fulfillment and happiness and contentment, like the things that we all as human beings are longing for, does this way lead to the good life? And I think Jesus actually begins to answer this question in the following verses. Jesus offers some reasons and explanations in the following verses in verse 24 and following. For whoever wants to save their life, Jesus says, will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me will save it. What good is it for someone to gain the whole world yet lose or forfeit their very self? Now, of course, we, we hear this, and rightfully so. Um, it's, it's safe to assume that Jesus is offering some level of commentary on, on the core of our beliefs, the good news of the gospel, right? Like Jesus is saying that there's a reality that we as human beings, we cannot save ourselves and the moment we try, like we're gonna fail because only Jesus Christ could do what was required to save us from our sins and to, to offer this promise of salvation, we'd say, yes, absolutely, that is absolutely true. And maybe the most important thing in those two verses. And I think Jesus is maybe also beginning to get at uh, offering some commentary around another truth. And I think that other truth is, is some of the false promises uh, and empty promises of the other ways that are being propped up in our world. And here's what I mean. The, the pursuits of this world, and, and if we structure our lives around those pursuits and fulfilling those needs, whatever they might be throughout the century, I, there's certainly some parallels and commonalities. But the pursuit, if, if we structure our whole lives simply on the pursuit to survive, to feel safe as we kind of move up that pyramid, or even those higher pursuits like feeling loved and belonging and being affirmed and, and even things like seeking knowledge and beauty and purpose. Again, those are all good things and I think are part of a fulfilling life. Uh, but when those are 
on their own the end or when we ourselves are then the end, when we are our end in and of ourselves, when we are the end, when we are, and not only the end, but when we are the source of all those things and we have to perpetuate those things and fulfill those needs, friends, I would suggest that it does not satisfy and it does not bring the good life. And actually, I think what Jesus says actually ends up happening is we end up losing our very selves. An example, I think, is just kind of a, a look at our modern day world right now, the modern West, particularly in the United States. I mean, I think we, we live in one of the most prosperous times in human history. If you were just to compare the scope of human history, we, many of us don't have to worry about those basic human needs we don't think twice about where our next meal is going to come from. There are those in that situation, and, and we pray for them, and we, we, we serve them. But there, for many of us, we don't, have to, we, we don't think about where our next meal or where we're going to lay our head at night. We, we have these basic needs more than any other time in human history, and yet what do the stats continue to show us and the surveys continue to show us is that we also are more anxious and depressed than in any other time, arguably, in human history. And I don't know if you've had this experience where you step into a different context, where maybe some of those basic needs aren't provided. And, and, and the observation that so many people, is when they come back home, the observation is, well, man, those, those folks have hardly anything, and yet they seem so much more content and happy and fulfilled, they seem to be experiencing the good life more than so many of us back home. And I think the reason is because God created humanity for something greater than simply ourselves. God created humanity for the divine, for God himself. We were, we were created for something more than just serving ourselves. And all these other paths can become, they can become empty pursuits. And the secular experiment, I think, is showing this to be the case. One of the things that I, that I found fascinating, and someone can double check my, my research or whatever, but as I was just, just examining this Maslow's hierarchy of human needs, I found that, that he had edited or adjusted the pyramid, the hierarchy, uh, in 1970. And he added something on the top of the pyramid. Transcendence. I was like, whoa, um, transcendence. In other words, that we need something to transcend our earthly reality. And what we see today, I don't know if you see this, but how many people are pursuing some level of transcendence, something beyond our experience on earth? And, some, and people are, 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 are pursuing those things in kind of different things like astrology or like crystals and new age kind of religions or even aliens like is, is a pursuit of transcendence. Friends, we were made for something greater than ourselves and our own self-actualization. We cannot find contentment, happiness, or fulfillment from within ourselves, but only from something that transcends our earthly existence. And think about what Jesus did. He transcended heaven to earth. He, he transcended. He left heaven, entered into our brokenness to create a way. You see, the, reasons we, the reason we know the way of Jesus is the best way to the good life is because this is the way Jesus himself walked 2,000 years ago. 
Our example is in Jesus Christ. Before offering this call to self-denial and self-sacrifice to his disciples, Jesus first told them what lay ahead of him in Jerusalem. This is what he says in verse 21 and 22. The son of man must suffer many things, be rejected by the elders, the chief priests, and the teachers of the law, and he must be killed. Notice Jesus is predicting what would come to pass and what did happen became the model and example of a certain way to live, the Jesus way, the way of the cross. And notice that the way of the cross, the way of Jesus is not the way of power, triumph, and dominance. It's the way of humility, sacrifice, and love. Jesus is an example, is our example of self-denial and self-sacrifice. Jesus had the power, uh, shows us this example. He could have stopped his crucifixion. He had the power to stop it in an instant, but he willingly, in obedience to the Father, walked this road of the cross, willingly laid down his life, willingly suffered many things, allowed himself to be rejected by those in authority and the religious institution, and then willingly went to the cross to be killed by the Roman Empire. He willingly stepped onto this path of the cross. And this is the way he calls us to live. But did you notice I left something out? What we know and what Jesus also mentions was that the cross wasn't the end of the story. At the end of verse 21, and on the third day, be raised to life. See, Jesus' suffering, Jesus' death was for a greater purpose, to bring salvation to the world. Jesus suffered, died. Jesus' self-denial, self-sacrifice was offered on behalf of others. And in Jesus' resurrection, we see a fulfillment and a foretaste of the kingdom of God, which is why Jesus ended with these words in verse 27. Truly, I tell you, some of you standing here will not taste death before they see the kingdom of God. What did the disciples see? The disciples were witnesses of the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And they saw the fullness of the kingdom in Christ and a foretaste of what awaited them after their suffering and their death. Self-denial, self-sacrifice actually doesn't make sense apart from the resurrection. If self-denial leads to suffering and suffering just leads to death and death is simply the end, then yes, we would agree. What's the point? If there's nothing that transcends our reality, then the cross is indeed foolishness like the Greeks asserted 2,000 years ago and what many people would say is foolishness today. But the resurrection of Jesus and the promise of salvation and the promise of resurrection for all those who believe in Jesus, who follow Jesus, completely changes the game and changes the whole equation so that living sacrificially and in self-denial actually makes sense. It's what allowed so many disciples of Jesus Christ to so radically live for others throughout human history and what, what, by the power of the Holy Spirit, working in and through the church and disciples of Jesus Christ absolutely changed the course of human history. And it's what continues to inspire disciples of Jesus Christ today. The pillars of the Christian faith who, who, who lived in self-denying, self-sacrificial lives in powerful ways have inspired Christians for generations. And we understand that none of them were perfect. 
right? But you just, you just go down the line like the Apostle Paul, the example of the Apostle Paul testified in the scriptures. But, but fast forwarding to, to St. Francis of Assisi or a contemporary Catherine of Siena or Bonhoeffer or Mother Teresa and the list could go on and on of people who lived self-sacrificially for the sake of the gospel and for the sake of their neighbor who Jesus Christ has called them to live has inspired followers of Jesus Christ for centuries. And at the same time, as I think of those examples, as inspiring as they may be, sometimes I look at, at some of their examples, and I'm like, well, that just feels really beyond my everyday experience. Like, I'm just trying to do my best to follow Jesus while attending to the needs and responsibilities that I have in my daily and weekly life, right? Amen? Anyone have daily responsibilities? Yes, we all do. And so the question I was just wrestling with as we kind of draw it to a close is, how do we live the way of Jesus, the way of the cross in my life today without feeling the need that I need to like sell everything I own and like move into a convent or a monastery somewhere, like which is just not an option for most of us, right? Nor is it necessarily the call for most of us, right? How do we live into this call of self-denial and self-sacrifice? And I was once again reminded of, of a student of mine when I was a youth pastor in Southern California almost 20 years ago, which is hard to believe, and his name is Joey. And, I, and I've shared part of Joey's story here a couple years ago, but Joey was, was like most high school students in our youth group. Um, he was likely more focused on uh, the immediate concerns of just surviving high school you know, navigating all of those social dynamics and what was going to happen this weekend and, and trying to manage and get his grades to a point where he could do the things he wanted to do. But for a weekend, uh, Joey was invited to join a, a small group of students and leaders from Southern California to an event we called the, the Urban Plunge. Uh, and the Urban Plunge was, was an experiential kind of uh, uh, event where students and leaders would live and experience what it was like to live on the streets in Southern California. So we gathered a group of kids and leaders, and we drove down to Pomona, California, uh, to live on the streets for 30 or so hours. Uh, at night, it was simulated. We were in a gated. I, I wasn't totally reckless. But anyway, uh, but we, we, we lived during the day, and we walked the streets of Pomona in groups. I wasn't with Joey. I was in a separate group. Um, but during that time, God, God did something in those 30 hours that cha changed something in Joey. Um, in that moment, he realized that the world was bigger than him. And the world in which he lived was bigger than the concerns that he faced. And God did something in that moment. Uh, because Joey, at the beginning of that event, he got this uh, down jacket, like a really nice jacket that he found in kind of the clothes we were sorting. And so he was so pumped about this jacket, a jacket he probably wouldn't have gotten otherwise. It was like camo. It was really cool. It was a cool jacket. Um, and then when we came back after spending the whole day uh, on the streets of Pomona, it was obvious he came back without the coat. And I just remember thinking, what happened? And kind of hearing him tell what happened was he met a guy who was living on the street who had to sleep outside and it does get cold uh, in the winter in Southern California and this guy didn't have a jacket and God did something and moved in Joey to deny himself and to sacrifice in a simple small way so that some other man that he had just met 
might be warm for the night. And on Monday, Joey went back to school. By Wednesday, in all honesty, he was probably causing his youth pastor some small headaches at youth group, acting up. But God was at work in his life in this moment. And I truly believe that God continues to be at work in his life moving forward. And the question that inspires is what are the moments, what are the seasons, and what are the opportunities for us today to step onto this path of self-denial and self-sacrifice? Maybe it's between the responsibilities and needs that we have to attend to this week and God's showing us an opportunity. Maybe it's in the midst of the opportunities and responsibilities that we have and God is calling us to live into those responsibilities in a slightly different way and to have a little more patience or to whatever it is. I don't know. But what is the way that we can step into the way of the cross, the way of Jesus to love our neighbor so that they might experience a glimpse of this kingdom that transcends our earthly existence. Let's pray. Let's ask the Spirit to reveal those things to us. Will you join me? Gracious God, we thank you for your word. Lord Jesus, this is a, this is a hard word. Lord, this is a hard call that, that you lay before us. And we pray, God, that, that, that you would move in our hearts that you would open our hearts and, and just bring an awareness to those opportunities that, that maybe are before us. Maybe, Lord, you're already revealing some of those opportunities. But maybe there's things happening this week. And, and Lord, maybe, it, maybe it's a moment where you, you, you pause us in our tracks and you say, what's the way of Jesus? Lord, we, we want what we learn. We want what you're speaking into our lives to have an impact in our lives. And we pray, Holy Spirit, that you would do that work and that we'd be able to testify and share stories and inspire and encourage one another so that we would more and more begin to resemble the one who is our Lord, who is our master, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name that we pray all these things. Amen. Thank you for listening. To learn how to get involved in our Fusion community or how to support Heart of Wake Ministries, please visit us at heartofwake.com.